The content discussed in the Left Behind series and therefore this podcast includes emotional trauma, human suffering, extreme violence, gore, as well as hurtful caricatures and stereotypes of marginalized groups, and is in no way reflective of the host's personal views or beliefs. But we beeped out the cuss words in case you want to listen in front of your mom. Believers in Jerusalem must flee or take the mark of the beast. Nikolai Carpathia, no longer pretending to be a pacifist, has ordered every morale monitor armed as he prepares to travel along the Via Della Rosa and onward to the temple, where the shocking surprises await. The lines are drawn between good and evil as God inflicts the first bold judgment upon the flesh of those who have taken the mark, while his chosen ones flee into the wilderness. Left Behind is a multimedia franchise that started with a series of 16 best-selling religious novels by Tim LaHaye and Jerry B.J. by Tim LaHaye and Jerry The future has come to pass. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of I Survived the Rapture. We're that podcast that slogs our way through the Left Behind novel series, so you do not have to. I'm your lapsed evangelical Shane Bazell. And I'm your ecumenical fanboy, Gavin Russell. All right, so we are back from a brief detour into Neon Genesis Evangelicals. We're back in full swing into the Left Behind series today with our first look at Desecration. Antichrist takes the throne. I think I messed up the title on the last episode, didn't I? Uh, you may have. I think I might have said the beast takes the throne or yeah, something. Yeah, either way. Well, it, it, same thing. So it's been a few weeks. Yeah, uh, we we took a little hiatus, a little bit uh, for the holidays to kind of like you know enjoy Thanksgiving and stuff like that. But now we are uh, we're back. Yeah, I can tell by that sigh you are not impressed so far. I- I mean, they were talking about just before we got on mic about how you, you, we took a few weeks away from the books and we came back to desecration and it was like we haven't read it before. Yeah, because it's uh, uh it's, it's it's not very good. Not so far. And uh, I think that we maybe were involuntarily like stalling for time so oh, yeah, that we definitely. didn't have to do this. But this is our burden that we swore to uphold. Yeah, so we're yeah. back. You know, we gotta we gotta keep to our word here. So what were your initial impressions of this book? So just before we start kicking things off, did you like anything about what you've read so far? There's okay, so in coming back to it, it's hitting a little bit better than initially. It, I, I, I'm not liking it as much as I liked the Mark, a book that I thought was pretty all right, uh, as we talked about in the off the record. This book does feel like a lot of filler and a lot of stuff happens, but a lot of it I don't really care. Like, that's the thing. Like, it's um, there's some like high intensity moments that are cool, but those are surrounded by overly packed moments that you could just be rushing along to like the next cool thing yeah there's a lot of exposition and there's a lot of talking about things that are happening but we don't really get to see them now there are some moments later on and we're not going to get to them in this episode of things that happen and there is one big thing that we are going to get to in this episode which made me actually kind of upset even though it is a specific thing with stakes that happened but Mm -hmm. let's go ahead and dive into it it's it's time. All right. <laughs> so we start our prologue off 
kind of in the same way we have um, with the last few books, a direct recap of the last thing that happened in the previous book. Mm hmm. Which was what? Well, where there was uh, a plane crash with the uh, our Tribulation Force boys uh, faking their own death to be able to escape the Antichrist. Um, yep, and that's it, really it. I yeah. mean, we, we got Hannah, Mac, Abdullah, all of them extricating themselves from New Babylon. They have faked their deaths. The plane actually went down in a different way than it was supposed to, and apparently they've been vaporized. I don't know if... This is even coming back into the plot at all. So we're kind of getting to the portion of the novels where I'm a little more hazy just because I was reading them, you know, at a younger age and kind of galloping through them at this point. Yeah. I don't remember if this is even relevant or if it's just like, well, we need to end the mark. So we're just going to have a plane crash instead of crashing it in the ocean or something. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. The thing that the prologue leaves off on is something that actually is going to be pretty relevant to the remainder of this section, and that is going to be Revelation chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Do you mind reading those for me real quick? Yep. Or do you want me out of the book? Or yeah, I'll just read it out of the book. All it's right, fine. Cool, cool. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowls upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worship his image. Revelation 16, 1 through 2. Yes. So we've been judgmentless for a little while. Mm -hmm. At least it feels that way. Like throughout indwelling and everything, like we haven't really had the judgments. We did the seals and then we did the trumpets. The judgments have kind of taken a back seat for a minute. Mm -hmm. Now it's the bowls. So these are the final set of seven judgments, which is going to bring us to 21. Pretty much every judgment is going to be pointed directly at those who have taken the mark of the beast. Yeah. Now, now you're going to hear that combo. Those who have taken the mark of the beast and who have worshiped his image, they are going to repeat that phrase over and over and over to the point where it got annoying to me mm -hmm. during this portion of the book. So just keep an eye out for that. So let's start with chapter one. All right. Ray is in the Negev desert at uh, Mitzvah Ramon. Um, it's about 50 miles from Petra. So it's out there in the desert. And he is there because he is still heading up Operation Eagle. Now, the last time we talked about Operation Eagle, so it's the evacuation plan that the co-op members in the Tribulation Force are heading up to get all of the Israeli believers and some of the Orthodox Jews out and get them into the refuge at Petra. I think what I assumed was it was that verse from Isaiah that gave it its name, that they'll man up with wings like eagles, they'll run and not be weary. Mm -hmm. Remember that verse? Yeah, yeah, Well, we find out in this book that's not the case. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually from Revelation 12, 14. Um, which is from Zion's vision, actually. So oh. do you mind reading Revelation 12, 14 for me? All right. Uh, yeah, let me pull out the Extreme Teen Bible, uh, since we don't have the big boy this episode. Yeah, we're straight up rocking an Extreme Teen Bible this time, and it feels like I am stepping back in time to 2001. Um, you know, I'll start one um, uh, verse before it, 13. Okay. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, that she m might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the present of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he may cause her to be carried away by the flood. Okay, 
So what Tim and Jerry are taking away from this passage in Revelation is that the woman is Israel. Now, we learned from Zion's vision and what he heard from the Archangel Michael that it's Israel, but also some other stuff. So Tim getting fuzzy on his prophecy. But in this case, the woman is Israel and the tribulation force are acting as her wings, the wings of an eagle that are going to take her into the desert so that she will be safe from the serpent. And in Tim's view, the armies of the Antichrist of the GC are the flood and a time and time and half a time is three and a half years. Mm -hmm. Really, really rocky translation. Um, yeah, that teen study Bible. Um, yeah, this this. Oh, I know why it's because it's uh, a new King James version. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's the translation I think that they use in the book because they referenced it specifically like a times and times and times and half a time or something. Yeah. Um, and it they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a year, a year, a year and half a year. Mm -hmm. So three and a half years. It's rocky and it's weird. And I kind of did a little looking into this. And apparently this is a portion of prophecy that someone of Tim's stripe kind of has to start pulling from things like the book of Daniel mm -hmm. as well as Revelation, which is a big thing that you've kind of heard me talk about previously is that they go into Daniel a lot yeah, in order to kind of bolster their idea of prophecy. And uh, we're going to talk about some other sources that they pull from and some other ideas a little bit later that kind of coincide with the uh, holiday season that we're in the middle of right oh. now. Oh, yep, yep, yep. We'll get there, though. So to kind of bring that prophecy into the plot here, we finally get kind of a concrete explanation from the book of what they expect to happen from the GC, like to Israel. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, because I think in previous books, we were like, what is this vision? Why are they trying to save, you know, these Israelis? What is the deal? Why are they thinking this is going to happen? What the assumption is based on the prophecy is that because he's going to desecrate the temple and make this huge show of making people get the mark of the beast in Jerusalem, that Nikolai is fully setting his sights on the Jews as a people. Mm -hmm. That includes the Orthodox. That's not just the Messianic Jews that are converting to Christianity. What the tribulation force are serving to do are kind of inserting themselves into prophecy and saying, okay, we're going to evacuate these Jewish believers and give them a safe haven for the remainder of the tribulation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ray's kind of walking around doing his leader thing, you know, getting everybody organized. And he meets with Albie, who introduces him to a new character, um, a guy named George Sebastian. So George gets a real quick introduction. Um, he's kind of a Steve Rogers looking guy, like tall, built, blonde. Um, he's from California. One of the things that George brings along with him is a bunch of weapons. <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah, I, I wrote in my notes, oh, boy, bunch of militant Christians with weapons. This is great. We love to see it. The person that owned this book before highlighted uh, the Bible verses. Oh, great. Huh. Yeah, doing us a favor. Yeah. We can just read them right out of the book. <laughs> Linda, yeah. Thank you, Linda. Wherever you are, thanks for your copy of Desecration <laughs> that we are reading from now. You have touched our lives. <laughs> so we cut from meeting George and seeing all of the guns he's brought with him to David, Hannah, Mac, Abdullah. They're all driving with Leah through the desert. So they have escaped. Leah Rose picked them up and is driving them through the desert. Um, and we learn immediately that... Everything's going off without a hitch. Buck and Hyam are in Jerusalem, ready to confront the Antichrist. Everybody's working where they're supposed to be, except one person. Hattie hasn't checked in. 
Oh no. Hattie's in trouble again? Maybe. We oh, don't know because no. we haven't heard from her. Okay. So everybody's starting to get a little antsy. They're like, well, she didn't have a specific job or rather the job she had has already been finished. She'd made contact and gotten Buggenheim dropped off, but she hasn't checked back in. So people are wondering, where's Hattie? And I just wrote here, I'm already tired of the planning and moving parts stuff because to summarize it in a way that the book will not, the plan is Ray and Albie and now George are heading up the evacuation wing of Operation Eagle. They're the ones who are going to be manning and organizing the helicopters and the planes to get the evacuees out. Chloe is holding down the fort with Zion and doing all the communication. David is about to have a job as soon as he arrives in Petra, and so are the rest of the team that is being moved into the desert. Buck and Hyam are in Jerusalem. Hyam is getting ready to do his Moses routine to actually kick off the evacuation and confront the Antichrist. And then there's Hattie. So like I said, I'm tired of like the planning and moving parts stuff because there's so many paragraphs just dedicated to and then this person's going to do this, and this person's going to do this, and then this person's going to do this. It's convoluted. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be. I just summed it up for you in a few sentences. Just say that and spend more time actually showing me stuff happening rather than what you guys are doing, which is just talking about who knows who is doing what, because you'll cut from one character that's like, oh, is so-and-so in place? Maybe they are. I don't know. And they'll cut to another character going, man, I hope so-and-so is doing their job. It's really just repetitive and redundant and boring jerry was too busy um selling 200 notebooks to be able to um uh, remember show don't tell wait a minute 200 notebooks okay so one of our uh one of the pages that's given us a, a few shout outs some um, uh here and there uh posted because uh, they're on jerry b jenkins uh email list are they yeah um J- jerry b jenkins apparently is was selling like 200 like notebook and pins oh my god yeah. What? Yeah. I'll, like I'll recently? Up. Yeah. Or put that on the Facebook page. That yeah. is really funny. Yeah. Anyway, Zion is in the strong building. He's praying for Hyam, and he all of a sudden gets a message from Chang Wong. If we remember from last time, Chang is David's replacement. He's able to stay in New Babylon because he's a computer whiz, and he is by loyal is what they call them. Yeah. Um, he got the mark of the beast, and he has the mark of the lamb. And this gets into a moment which makes me hate his character even more than I already did. Okay. He sends Zion a message saying, I am despairing for my life. I want to kill myself. Oh. Yeah, great, right? Just wonderful. Like, and he's a child, 14 or something. Yeah. Which, like, it's an immature response, but he's so unlikable, this kid. And he wants to kill himself because he thinks that he has gotten the mark of the beast and he is already damned. Yeah. Right? Regardless of the circumstances, even though you can still see the mark of the lamb on him if you are a believer. Yeah. So he's freaking out. Zion's trying to encourage him. Do you mind reading Chang's lines? There's a few of them. I am in my room at the place with everything set up the way Mr. Hasid and I designed. My machinations are filtered through a scrambler so complex that it would not be able to be unravel itself. I could end my life right now and not affect the tribulation force. Um, yeah, so he's, he's basically he, trying he's, to he write gets, himself out of the story. Yeah, he gets uh, pretty graphic, too, and saying the way that he'll do it as well. Yeah, so it's, it's bad. It's pretty, it, it's pretty bad. Yeah, and, and one, it's hard to read. Like, I don't like that. But two, okay, man, if you're going to go to hell anyway, why are you trying to rush it? Yeah. Like, the Mark of the Beast doesn't let anybody control your mind, so this is just stupid. Yeah. It's dumb. Um, it's a dumb character moment, and it makes him unlikable. But Cyan explains to him, hey, man, you didn't take the mark. You didn't do it voluntarily. And one of the things that Chang says is, 
You know what? To be fair, I don't know what happened, which kind of leaves a little bit of a mystery there. It's a mystery that's going to be solved by the end of this section. Mm-hmm. But even Zion in that moment kind of starts doubting a little bit. He's like, was I wrong about my interpretation of prophecy? Can you get the market still be a believer? Will God not protect you the way that we thought? Because last time it was like God will give you the supernatural ability to resist getting the mark even unto death. Mm-hmm. Right. And so now we're doubting. And I don't know if this is this isn't the first time we've seen Zion doubt something. I don't, yeah. I but it's rare, though. Yeah. Um, from there, we cut back to Ray, and Ray actually tells George and Albie, hey, we're not soldiers. Like, at least they're paying lip service to we are not crazy militants, mm-hmm. which I kind of dig. I don't think that's going to entirely hold. Ray actually refuses to even handle a weapon when George shows him a 50 cal machine gun because he's bringing 150 cal machine guns and incendiary rounds. And guess what else we get? Oh, we get more, we get more, uh, fancy weaponry. We get cyberpunk weapons again. And so he shows him a directed energy rifle, which is basically a laser gun. Yep. (laughs) It's not a laser gun. It's like a microwave gun. It's supposed to shoot a concentrated beam that will like increase the temperature of your skin. You know, I hate to say this directed energy weapons can cause lasting harm, even though the book wants to tell you that they can't. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like, oh, it's just, um, it's just like, it'll heat your clothes, but it won't, like, cook you inside. It's fine. Uh, it's radiation. Yes, yeah. it will. <laughs> it's really funny, and uh, I, I don't recommend doing this, but I did Google what happens to your skin and uh, and the rest of you when you are hit with a directed energy weapon. It's not pretty. Yeah. Yeah. It's about what you'd expect, considering that it's radiation. Yeah, they have more, like, babble on, like, the the efficiency of the 50 cals, too, which I'm not sure how much of that is accurate, but it seems That's to— pretty, it It's seems, all right. Yeah. <clears throat> it's not entirely accurate, but it's, it's, it's not the It's not the most egregious um, uh, gun gun babble. Yeah, when it comes to firearms, we've, we've had greater sins in yeah. this series. But you guys all know about that. Now, to close out the chapter, there's a very interesting moment that happens. Uh, and it's a moment I'm going to call the burning buck. <laughs> so Buck goes to meet Hyam at the King David Hotel. Um, and we get reminded that Hyam does not look like himself anymore. Zeke yep. has, has tinted his skin. He's given him a dental appliance, dyed his hair, given him contacts. He looks like a completely different person because Zeke is a magician. Yeah. Both of them kind of go back and forth. And it's nice to kind of see the two of them talking again. As a team, because they haven't like, you know, really been together in a while. You know, we had indwelling and then they had a little bit of a break and now they're working together again. Pretty soon, both of them kind of fall to their knees, sort of crushed by the weight of their situation. Like, crap, we're going to have to stare down Nikolai Carpathia and then lead all of these Israelis out. And it's going to be our job. And by ours, I mean mostly Hyams. And they kind of start praying about it, which is, you know, that's kind of the Christian thing to do. You know, when you run out of answers... You're supposed to talk to God, and that's what they're doing. And then something happens. Chaim starts quoting Exodus, but I don't think he's quoting. I think that this is some witnesses at the Wailing Wall reenactment stuff. Mm -hmm. He says, who am I that I should bring the children of Israel out? So the Moses thing is no longer subtext. It's just text. Like, Chaim is Moses, and that's it. And then Buck responds to him. Reach out your hand and take the water. Um, Heim turned to stare at him. Cameron, I did not know you knew Hebrew. Buck knew enough not to argue, though he knew no um, Hebrew and was thinking and forming his words in English. The water, he said. Heim held his stare and then turned and grasped the glass. The water turned to blood, and Heim set it down so quickly that it sloshed into the back of his hand. Buck said, 
This is so they may believe the Lord God has appeared to you. Now take the water again. Yeah, so there's a whole back and forth here in which Buck starts speaking with the literal voice of God, like commanding Hiam to do miracles. And he's speaking in Hebrew, even though he doesn't hear it. Buck is the burning bush in this moment. Oh, yeah. The burning buck. Yep, he's the burning buck. So he gets indwelt with the Spirit of God for a moment. And you might even say in, you know, Christian doctrine, the Spirit of God descends upon him and he speaks with that voice. Mm-hmm. So it's cool. Um, yeah. It is weird. And I think you could almost accuse it of being a little lazy. Because rather than telling a new type of Bible story with new characters, they are calling back to something old and basically recycling. I think what you've referred to it previously as Bible fan fiction. Yeah. I think you can make the argument that it's lazy. Yeah. I don't think it hits quite as hard as they want it to. It's kind of neat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, and like, again, you know, if, if they're making Bible fan fiction, of course, they're going to just put full vignettes from the Bible. So sure. I'll, I'll, give, I'll give them that. And Hiam gets to do another miracle that I don't think ever happens in the Bible. He force chokes Buck. Oh, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other thing that Buck commands him to do is like stretch out your hand and he does it at Buck and Buck stops breathing. <laughs> yeah. He force chokes him. And then Hiam is very scared. Like, oh, I'm sorry, Cameron. I didn't mean to do that. And like Buck's like, no, it's fine. <laughs> oh, dude, this is really cool. You got God powers. Yeah, exactly. So he's doing miracles just like Moses does. He doesn't have the staff, though. Mm-hmm. That's the big thing. Um, you know, you think about Prince of Egypt, like, with the staff, you will do my wonders. And, like, he doesn't do it. So yeah. Could be cooler with the staff, but, you know, I'm going to take what I can get. Right. Also, Linda really liked the energy weapon bit because she highlighted that. like, And that's the only other thing other than the Bible verses she highlighted. What's going on, Linda? <laughs> Linda. All right. Well. We're going to just follow Linda through this book. Yeah. It's going to be a journey. All right. So into chapter two. So Zion messages David about the Chang situation. Mm-hmm. And David's like, hey, Leah, pull over. I'm going to handle this. And David says exactly what I would say to this kid, which is, dude, get your ass in gear and stop whining, you selfish child. <laughs> it's not in so many words because, you know, he doesn't say a cuss. But he basically says, look, man, I get that you're upset. You need to find out what happened that morning so that you can chill out because you don't remember. Something about the situation that morning when Chang got the mark just does not add up. And so David says, hey, look, there are some new security cameras in the building that you were in, and I'm going to show you the line of code that you can use to get in them. So Chang is going to look back at the security footage and find out exactly what happened. Okay. When they get back in the car, and I can't let it get away, that Mac... God damn it with more race stuff in Abdullah's direction. He says, keep a rain on that camel desert boy. Uh, dude, I don't even remember the context. I just remember that line sticking out and just went, oh, God, again? Come on, man. Like, why? That doesn't even need to be in there. That's bad. Yeah, it's there's no good way about it. Because, like, Abdullah comes back at him like, cowboy boy. Okay, I found it. Oh, um, did you find it? Yeah, Rayford hadn't known, and he could hear Abdullah in the background demanding to know what they were talking about. Just keep around that camel there, uh, desert boy. You watch it, Texas cowboy boy. Texas cowboy boy. Yeah, and I think they even write it that way to show that, like, Abdullah's English isn't perfect. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. I don't... I will learn some slurs about you and torment your ancestors. I mean, at least they have a good clap back for that. It's okay. Like, this banter between them really never goes anywhere, and I think it's boomer funny. Yeah. And, like, we're just not realizing Yeah. I think it's supposed to be that. I don't know. Things actually start moving along now. Buck and Hyam finally leave the hotel to go to the Via Dolorosa. Now, just as a reminder... 
the Via Dolorosa is the road through Jerusalem that Jesus took while carrying the cross to get to Golgotha, where he was crucified. Mm -hmm. It is also the road that he took through his, I believe, for his triumphal entry uh, on what is known as Palm Sunday. Yeah. So the Passover week for, you know, leading up to his death. Um, so the crowds are already gathering. Um, they are selling Carpathia memorabilia and souvenirs. Stuff oh. with his face on it and all that. I just wrote, hmm. Yeah, you gotta love it when your uh, political leader's face is on all kinds of merchandise that people are just popping up in their little tents to sell. I, 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 I wish there was a contemporary example we could point to. Oh, there's of, not, though. That would be crazy. Yeah, that'd be crazy. Absolutely nuts. You know, political fanaticism in the 21st century in modern America no, that's a- we are so enlightened. We're past all that. Yeah. <laughs> now, this is they're, they're getting ready for the parade. And uh, it is not a solemn or even like triumphal, like solo entry into the city. It is a North Korea style military parade. Um, there are tanks and there are artillery equipment. There's rockets like they're literally think of any sort of authoritarian like military style parade. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't know anything about that here either. Or any kind of political leader in America wanting one of those. That's silly. Yeah, but it's a show of force and it's going to be featuring Nikolai and the pig. I remember distinctly trying to get the dramatized versions of these books, because there are, like, I think abridged dramatizations yeah, of these. like three, four hours. Yeah, 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 they're short. And I remember listening to the preview for Desecration, and it has a weird scene where Nikolai is, like, whispering sweet nothings to the pig, and I remember the pig sounds in the background. It was weird, and there's, like, ominous music playing. Very distinct memory from the Left Behind website burned into my brain, like, as a 11-year-old kid. <laughs> Oh my God! So weird, dude. So you just have like, oh yes, I'm go. Uh, you're you're going soon. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I, that is almost exactly it. Like the vibe, totally there. Um, so they're getting ready for the parade, but Jerusalem, let's remember, is in bad shape. Oh, like yeah. it got rocked by another earthquake, so it's not in good shape. The population of the world is waning, so they're short on peacekeepers, and uh, people are watching the news and it's talking about the plane crash so they kind of get reminded of that and the fact that they can't find the bodies can't find the bodies because there are no bodies mm-hmm. um so to cut back to david's team chang patches david into a meeting with carpathia on the plane with his cronies so we're all the way into the tribulation at this point we're nine books in they still have not found the bug on the plane that plot device is never going anywhere uh, they're never going to find it? I don't think so. Oh Not God. that I remember. Um, so we get noted that Leon is uh, feeling a little bit of discomfort. Oh. This is fun. Yeah, this is fun. I, I do this. enjoy this. Uh, we meet a new character named Lauren Hunt. So apparently he was a former rodeo cowboy from Canada. All right, that's dumb. I miswrote rodeo clown in my notes, and I was like, that's even funnier, but they just made him a rodeo cowboy because he likes lassoing dissidents. He's a real servant of the party there, buddy. And we get like a lot of like maniacal flexing out of Carpathia in this scene because like he won't accept yes, sir, as an address like he needs you need to say like yes, potentate and like pop tall or else he won't take your your address. He's like, I won't tolerate this disrespect. So stupid. So Lauren's job is he's the head of the morale monitor. So we have our full on secret police. 
our SS and call them the MMs. And uh, he is updating Carpathia that now within the week, all of the morale monitors are going to be armed. Okay. And then they have this weird moment while they're discussing the MMs about the male to female ratio among them. He's like, oh, it's about 60, 40, sir. Means like good, good, and I don't know why that line is in there. Yeah, and like it, this goes on for a few lines because at first he's like, it's about sixty four, and he's just like about. And he's like, well, it's exactly fifty eight to forty two. Excellent. What is that? Is, is he is he excited because there's more men than women? I don't know. I think Jerry is bad at writing like a truly indulgent villain. Because I wrote this a little further in the stuff. I was like, he's just lame joker oh my god yeah like he's he's temperamental he's unpredictable he's violent he's indulgent he's campy like he's just constantly looking for any excuse to like pick at someone or like make them feel less than or put them down or like do something unpredictable or violent in their direction or tell them something violent or unsettling. Oh, you, uh, you, you leak the information about the pig. I must kill you now. Yeah, that kind of thing. <sighs> like, he's, he's somewhere between, like, Joker and, like, Al Capone as played by Robert De Niro in The Untouchables. Mm-hmm. Like, not, like, real Al Capone. I, I just, he's not good. Like, yeah. Nikolai sucks now. We've said that before, but, so, perfect example. Carpathia is asking Hutt to describe how he would kill dissidents. And he goes on this long, we're not even going to read it. He goes on this long thing about, you're not just going to shoot them. You're going to, you got nine bullets in that clip. You're going to exhaust all of them, shoot them in one hand and then the other hand and then one foot and the other foot. Crucifixion gun kata. Yeah, totally. And like make a show of it and have them rolling on the ground, screaming and begging and, and shouting my name and worshiping me before you put one in between the eyes. And then drag them over to the guillotine and chop their head off. Yeah, because you have to make sure that uh, they get guillotined because all uh, dissenters have to get their head cut off, even if they're dead. Right, which is stupid. And, like, I'm going to say this later, but Jerry and Tim need the GC regime to be North Korea or their idea of Stalinist Russia or Nazi Germany. But really, it's more North Korea than anything else. They need it so bad. Shoving this regime into a North Korea-shaped mold with kind of an almost childlike, arbitrary, ridiculous dictator. And I think that you could also, instead of just saying, like, Kim Jong-il, you would also say somebody like Gaddafi. Yeah. Like, Nikolai's got a little bit of Gaddafi in him. Um, with just the overindulgence and the arbitrary, just sort of like autocratic selfishness, like and glee that he takes and stuff, you know, that he just has to be this parody. And I think it takes some of the fangs out of him. Yeah. Like he's not nearly as menacing. He's not nearly as impressive. He's just borderline bumbling because his strength ceases to be internal and it starts to be just how scared of him people are. Yeah. And he's not an imposing villain anymore. He becomes this real kind of paper tiger, especially once Hyam and other people start stepping up to him, which like based on what Jerry and Tim are trying to say is that, you know, the enemy is without power and that he will ultimately be defeated by, you know, the almighty and all that. I get it, yeah, the, but it makes for bad drama. Yeah, it's, it's it's the whole thing of like, oh, your enemy only uses like illusions for their power, and that's when you have the power of Jesus, you're able to actually overcome yeah, it. Yeah, he's the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Like, do not look at the man behind the curtain. You know, like he's not, he stops being interesting at the point where he should be the most scary. Yeah. And they have to stick to prophecy so much that the false prophet has to be his hitman. 
Like he doesn't really even lift a finger to like shoot somebody with a lightning bolt or a laser or something. So we'll we'll see how that develops as things go on. But like I am so underwhelmed with Nikolai now. Let's talk about how Leon's butt itches. Let's talk a lot about how Leon's butt itches because the book sure does. Yep. <laughs> um. So <laughs> Leon, every time he comes on screen, he's just kind of he keeps trying not to itch his butt, <laughs> but he ends up itching his butt. And if we remember the first bowl of wrath is sores on the bodies of those who took the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. And so Leon, poor Leon, like he's a piece of shit, but like poor guy, like he's got a boil forming on his ass and he just keeps trying to scratch it. A true friend feels free to scratch himself in front of the risen potentate. I'm so sorry, excellency. Think nothing of it. You're in such discomfort because your hip itches. I'm afraid it's more than that, sir, but I'd rather not. <laughs> it's so funny, man. It is great. Like, <laughs> it's, it's really just these two guys who have lost a lot of their power or are currently in the process of losing their power. Leon, who can call down fire from heaven, has a sore on his ass. <laughs> he just, his butt, and he can't. Oh, it's it. This actually amused me. I like this a lot. Yeah, it is. If it is being played for laughs, which I think Jerry might be doing that, I got to give it to him. It's funny. Because like, like how we've talked about like some of the other stuff where they're just being incompetent. That doesn't really work. Could we seen how like, you know, like smart that Nikolai can be before. But, you know, when you got a boil on your ass, you can milk that no matter what state of your power level you're at. Right, exactly. And here's the thing. Uh, guy having to itch his butt is never not funny. Yeah. It's like a fart joke, but it's never not funny. So we get a little bit of an outline as to what's going on once we reach Jerusalem. They're basically doing like a Christian passion play. Mm-hmm. Nikolai's going to hit all the spots, Garden Tomb, the Via Della Rosa, Golgotha, the whole thing. Viv Ivans is going to be playing Nikolai's mother. Oh, she's Mother Mary. She's Mother Mary. Yep. She's going to be doing that. Um, and Nikolai actually corrects Walter on certain events of the reenactment. He's like, half of those never happened. Believe me, I know. Specifically, he highlights Jesus's speech to the women, um, which is a moment in the Bible. And I can't remember the verse, but it was... You know, weep not for me, weep for yourselves and for your children. Um, Talking about, I think, the future destruction of Jerusalem or the future occupation is what a lot of scholars think. It's in the Bible. I don't know what they're trying to say about this never happened. I Because they put all the stations of the cross on Nikolai's itinerary, and I know that that's normally like a Catholic thing. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's Tim going like, Catholics. But like, it's it's weird. That yeah. He says those never happened. Because you think it's like, oh, the devil would know. But like, I, it's a weird moment that I couldn't suss out what they were going for there. So moving on to chapter three we finally figure out where hattie is she's chilling out in her hotel room yep and she's praying so we have i don't think we've seen hattie pray yeah no we haven't at all ever and she suddenly feels this presence like she's basically telling god like send me where i need to be i know i have a role to play and just like that the archangel michael just shows up whoa it's like what's up And he actually says to her, O daughter, greatly beloved, accept not the blasphemy of the evil one and his false prophet. She realizes that she has been called to do something specific. Oh, wow. And she starts praying for courage, and she realizes she's got a job to do, but she may not come back from it. Oh, no. Because she sends an email to Zion or schedules one to send, and she's going to go off and confront Nikolai. Mm -hmm. Now, what are you going to do? Like, you're not going to shoot him. What does confronting him look like? We're going to find out. 
I, I'm glad that Hattie's at least getting like a mission and that she's like, um, cause she's like the second or third character to be like approached by an angel. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, I'm glad at least like after she's eight, definitely not the last, by like, the way. Yeah. At, at least like after eight books of Hattie bashing, Hattie actually gets to do some pretty cool stuff now. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. Okay. So I, I want to put a pin in that. We're going to come back to it. Do you mind reading her email? Yes. Perhaps I should have consulted you rather than scheduling this to be sent to you after the fact, but I feel directed to exercise faith and believe God. I look at what I've written and I don't even sound like myself. I know I don't deserve this any more than I deserve God's love and forgiveness. Maybe this is all silly and it won't, it won't happen. If I chicken out, it will have not have been of God and I will um, intercept this before it gets to you. But if you receive it, I assume I will not see you until you are in heaven. I love you and all the others. In Christ, your sister, Addie Durham. She knows she's not coming back. Yep. From what she's about to go do. So cut quickly back to Ray. Everyone has arrived um, at Mitzparamon. He introduces Mac, Abdullah, Hannah, and David to the rest of the Eagle crew. And we finally start getting some plan. Any Jewish believers arriving at Mitzparamon are going to be ferried to Petra, which is about 50 miles away via helicopter. Ray also knows that the winning image of Carpathia has been chosen because remember they had the big contest mm-hmm. to build an image of Carpathia and it's been moved to the Temple Mount. So in addition to being a big show of force and his desecration of the temple, they're kicking off this big open mark application center where you go in, you get your mark application, you go kiss the feet and worship the image. And then you are part of the GC again. Mm -hmm. And this is all taking place in Jerusalem at the temple Mount. And people are clamoring to take the mark because Carpathia is going to be there. So it's a specific ceremony. And they're like, man, I get to show my loyalty to the GC with the risen God there to oversee it. How yeah, it's great a big moment for everybody. Yeah, it's good. Also, the plan, according to Zion, is that Carpathia is to be opposed before entering the temple. They're not really sure what opposed looks like. Is it going to be the Orthodox Jews? Is it going to be some of the Messianic Jews? Is it going to be Chaim? Or now we know, could it possibly be Hattie? Ooh. There's an interesting moment here because they kind of take some of our notes. The faithful who are present as Ray is speaking, and it's unnamed characters who are talking about going to Jerusalem to kind of kick things off undercover. They start to argue amongst themselves about whether or not it's okay to lie to the GC. Huh. And uh, Tim and Jerry just basically say, hmm. They don't actually weigh in. They have characters say on one side and then on the other side, and then they just sort of go, "Uh, we don't know. Maybe like you should ask God about it. Yeah, uh, they're washing their hands of the morality here, um, which I think is cowardice. This is funny because uh, Buck is at Pilate's court. Yeah, you're right. He is at Pilate's court. That's very funny. Um, Speaking of washing hands, like Pontius Pilate. Um, But you mentioned Buck. So let's cut to Buck and Hyam. They're on their way up, kind of walking at pace. Hyam's not doing so great. Like he's in the middle of a panic attack for like most of the next couple chapters. And I just pointed out all of the pageantry and the GC stuff that's going on here is real lame. Yeah. As far as dictatorships go, you know, Um, because they're playing Hail Carpathia, which is a song that sucks hail carpathia nope. your lord nope. risen not king. not again uh that sucks <laughs> there's tanks with loudspeakers also playing that dumb song and saying like you know everybody be happy the potentate is here um there's morale <laughs> monitors who i imagine look like the guards from the hunger games like on their white uniforms 
It's bleh. But you know, um, the, the Tribulation Force also thinks Hail Carpathia sucks. And, oh, we're uh, going to get there. Uh, Just, oh, <laughs> it makes me so mad. This is a dumb, dumb, dumb thing. <laughs> so put a pin in that. We're coming back to it. Because what I wanted to put in here was that, like, Tim really wants this to be like an iron-fisted autocracy. And if you're the father of lies and like the serpent and the deceiver, your regime doesn't look like this. Yeah. Because this looks like every evil empire in every movie ever. No, you're going to have the liberal utopia. Yeah, you have Brave New World. You don't have 1984. Right, exactly. At least Brave New World. Yeah. Like everybody's got a job. Everyone's like has, has taken like the best drug that with no side effects. Right, yeah. Everybody's dressed well. They all have money because you have decimated the earth's population those resources and that wealth has to go somewhere yeah you know you put it back into the like everybody needs to be living like kings like yeah. that is how you do it that's how you have a regime with earthly delights and pleasures and security that is so much more desirable than the spartan simple life that it would take to follow christ mm -hmm. like that's how you build a contrast not whatever the f this is like i don't like this this is very lazy and stupid yeah i'm coming down real hard on this book already and i know you are too i just i don't like it like this is this is disappointing me because it is so lazy. Yeah, it's like, like I was even saying at the offset, like some of like, uh, some of this stuff, it's hard to get through just because like many word, not a lot happen. Yeah, exactly. It just feels like we're running in place here. Yeah. So per what you just said a minute ago, the GC limos finally arrive with Carpathia and all his goons. Leon's still scratching his ass. And we get Hail Carpathia again, and then Buck decides he will not sing the song, but he's going to move his lips, and he's going to do his own little Weird Al parody of it, and uh, just just read it. Well, I'll, I'll perform it. Oh, God damn it. Here we go. Fail Carpathia, you fake and stupid thing. Fail Carpathia, fool of everything. I'll hassle you until you die. You're headed for a lake of fire. That doesn't even rhyme! Fail Carpathia, you fake and stupid thing. Fuck you. <laughs> That sucks. And it you know does. what it sounds, you know what it has? It has Let's Go Brandon energy. Oh my, it does. It has big Let's Go Brandon energy. Like, it's not very creative. It's not funny. And it's just like dumb. This is so lame. This is like grade school shit. Like, stop. Buck, you're a writer for fuck's sake. God, I'm so mad at this fucking book. When I first heard that, like, I, I did, like, internally cringe hard because they've it's they real cringe they bro. made hail carpathia worse yeah yeah it's bad <sighs> so speaking of the man himself carpathia greets the crowd he mounts a clearly drugged pig and <laughs> they start kind of watching him as he's sort of teetottering down the uh via Dolorosa on this pig and the bystanders are like Ah, he's putting all previous religions in their place. They're just going along with it. Like, he's literally just doing the thing that's in Revelation, and they're like, huh, what do you know about that? The NPCs of Left Behind are just, like, the worst. Yeah. It's very silly. And they even give, like, a supernatural explanation for it later that even I don't buy. And, uh, oh, Linda's back. Uh, she highlighted the single line, what's more offensive to a Jew than an animal he's not allowed to eat? So that was really important to Linda. You know, I can think of a few things just off the top of my head. We're not gonna right now, but I can think of a few more offensive things than that. Yeah. <laughs> God, they're so stupid. They're, they, this book is dumb. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, God. 
I now we've turned the corner into the final third here. I'm tired of this. Remem- I don't like this Rem- book. Remember Shane last year when you were like, "Hey, Gavin, let's do this podcast where we'll read all of Left Behind, like in and out, done, bim bam." You know, back nah, to the quick adventure, Morty. Let's go. Like, okay, you know what this is doing for me? What? It's Tribulation Force vibes. Yeah, it it it, it has that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Real Tribulation Force energy. So we find out that what's going to go on with David is David's going to go ahead to Petra alone. Um, he's actually going to get his own computer set up there. I don't know how he's getting Wi-Fi out there, but he's going by himself. Seems weird, but he's going to set up his own Batcave in Petra. Um, we also learned that Petra can hold about eh, 250,000 people. They're expecting at least a million refugees, so they're going to have to figure that out. Mm-hmm. So back to the scene, Nikolai's making his way up the Via Dolorosa. The pig collapses like a hundred yards into the stunt. Oh no. Like he's not able to do the pig. And he finally, he kind of has to give up on the pig, makes him look even lamer. And he's just like, and he goes and he mimes killing it in front of the crowd, which is just vile. Like it's just bad. It's just stupid. Like nobody's into this. Like you're not like, you're not impressing anyone. Again, like when you're like, you're supposed to be the seductive figure. You don't do the most gruesome thing in the world to try to get loyalty. Exactly. Like that's not how this works. So Leon announces, behold, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world, which was something that I believe John the Baptist said about Jesus, right? I think so. Yeah. And the sky suddenly turns black as Buck and Hyam look on. (laughs) (laughs) Leon is basically like, hold up, hold up. Everybody fall down, worship your God. And he's still scratching other parts of his body (laughs) like he can't help himself. Leon is screaming like, oh, well, there's someone in the crowd that's not loyal. That's why the scar, the sky went black. Uh, Buck and Hyam kind of have a little back and forth like, yeah, Satan doesn't know that. He's not omniscient. He can't tell who's loyal and who's not. That's why he needs the mark. We find out the sky turning dark has nothing to do with Satan, nothing to do with Leon. As we hear a high-pitched screaming voice coming out of the crowd at the base of Golgotha. And it's Hattie. Oh, she's doing the old lady from Princess Bride, like the boo, (laughs) like calling him out like the crowd parts. And she's wagging her finger at him. Um, Can you read what she says? At least parts of it right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She starts with liars, which is another Princess Bride bit. Liars. She railed blasphemers, antichrist, false prophet. Woe to you um, who would take the place of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. You shall Shall not prevail against the God of heaven. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> liar! Liar! Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Yeah, it's it's rough. Yeah. She really kind of lets him have it, like, in kind of an Old Testament way. That is most of what's going on here. Like, there's no new material. It's all Old Testament stuff. Yours and- is empty, vain tongue of the damned. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. And then uh, she doesn't really get to do it for very long. Because Leon incinerates her (laughs) yeah she she turns into a torch in the middle of the road and then like all that's left is a hattie shaped ash thing that just blows away yeah soft breeze made hattie topple like a statue people gaped as she was quickly reduced to ash her silhouette branded onto the ground as the fire died and the smoke wafted Hattie's remains skittered away with the wind. Woof. We gotta have a moment of silence as we have reached the final and ultimate instance of Hattie bashing. We weren't even able to have her on the team for like a whole book. 
Barely, anyway. So barely a whole book, and then she is completely fridged. She converts. She Leroy Jenkins Carpathia, and then she gets hit with one spell and, and dies. she's done. Yeah, they completely run out of use for Hattie as soon as she stops being a temptress. I, I take that back. and a damsel. I take that back earlier when I said I'm glad that she gets like a cool moment because. They could have done so much with her. I she could have been one of the characters that made it either close to or at the end, and she could have had an arc, but she doesn't. I don't know, because for some reason in my head, I just, like, imagine Hattie, like, wielding a sword and armor, like, fighting demons. She'd be great. Cool. She'd be amazing. Yeah. But, nope. Can't give it to her. Got a fridger. And it sucks, because she is useless to these writers if she is not, like, a sex object or something to be rescued. Yeah, she so. can't she can't have her own autonomy. No. Which is weird. Again, because like, you know, it's not like there aren't other female characters in the books that have that. It's just they have laser focused on this character and just like they they ran out of things to do with her. And so Buck not reacting well. He grabs Hyam by the collar and basically is like, dude, that should have been you up there, or at least me. Because Hyam is freezing up. He's locking up, he's having a panic attack, and Buck is at it. So it's a bad scene. Like it's not great, and I, I hate to say goodbye to Hattie on those terms. Now, David is getting his computer set up back in Petra, and he mentions he's at a high place. You know what a high place is? Uh, it's like a temple, a, a ma- like a, a mount. Yeah, yeah. In a lot of cases, um, it's considered like a pagan worship site, or in a lot of cases, like, you know, like pyres would be burned at like, you know, the tops of cliffs or like the high parts of temples because you were closer to the heaven. Um, when you hear about like the power against the powers of darkness and wickedness in high places, you know, you hear high places used a lot in the Bible mm-hmm. when it's talking about the powers of Satan because he's the prince of the air. And because that is where a lot of more pagan rituals were done was in these high spots. So. Yeah. And uh, Linda has taken the um, the liberty of highlighting that the fact that it is a uh, a stunning red rock masterpiece of a city carved from the stone. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so so I've Apparently, Linda did not see Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade or Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen. Yeah, so she's uh, <laughs> she's really she's really excited to like see um like what Petra looks like. Yep. So good job, Linda. And the reason why we even cut back to David is because Chang messages him to say, "Hey, I found the motherload." What motherload is he talking about? No, we'll find out in a minute. But I remember that line. I was like, "Why are you?" Oh, I guess you found the thing you were looking for. But that's a weird way to say it. Buck again, having had enough with Hyam, sort of leaves him behind as the crowd moves on to the garden tomb. Um, specifically that being the Tomb of the Resurrection. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But he actually asks Chang to check up on medical records and see what's going up with Leon. And it just says rashes, carbuncles, and boils. So Leon's going through it right now. Poor poor Leon. He's a piece of shit. Yeah, he is a piece of shit. Never mind, but... All right, so into chapter four. Um, we get one of our first looks at Chloe, who is going uh, stir crazy back in the strong building. She wants to get out. She's doing so much work, but she's doing it from behind a desk. She's kind of gotten oracled, like she used to be Batgirl, and she's oracle now. Mm-hmm. Zion finally reads Hattie's message, which we've read previously. And then he goes on to inform the rest of the tribulation force about her death. So to cut back to Chang for a minute, um, he has found footage of an argument with his father and the Mark application. Okay. He's sent David a video, including Chinese and English subtitles. Oh. So he's doing like a whole little video project. Okay, so I have a problem with this scene. Why? Uh, because when they are speaking Chinese to one another, it is written out in full sentences. But when speaking English, Chang's father goes back to the sort of... Um, 
the the Mickey Rooney. Mickey Rooney voice. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> we do, and it is uncomfortable. Uh, so what we learn is that Mr. Wong actually ordered a tranquilizer for Chang from uh, Walter. Chang apparently wanted to talk to his mom alone, and he confessed to being a believer. He told his mom that Ming was a believer. Tried to get his mom on his side, and she basically said no. Like, I love you, but we have to follow the leader. We have to do what your father says. We are loyal. And I kind of just wrote, so the uh, Chinese family patriarch is real big on loyalty to the leader. Yeah. All right, cool. And they make this big appeal to Mr. Wong, and he goes, okay, okay, fine. We're going to give it a couple of days. You can get more used to the idea. You don't have to get the mark right now. And he kind of almost does the, like, bringing Chang in for a hug thing. Mm -hmm. And he Jabs him with the trank, Oof. which that is not how you do an injection. You can't really. It's weird. Chang is hit with the tranquilizer and he's like, oh, no, what'd you do? And he starts to like pass out. And you see on the video cameras him kind of loping down the hallway, still trying to cross himself and like pointing up, losing consciousness, doing everything he can to like acknowledge his own faith, like as he's going, which is a little weird. But like, I get that what they were going for. Yeah, like they were they were trying to be like part of like the prophecy where they're talking about like you won't take um, the mark willingly. You'll you'll make a declaration. Yeah, of faith. He is yeah. resisting and making his declaration of faith, which is the thing he, I think, was worried about. He's like, I didn't fight it. I didn't resist. Well, yeah, you did. Yeah, you, you didn't right have there. the memory because you were stabbed with a tranquilizer. I don't like that they so quickly solve this problem. It's like you put it there and then you immediately turn around and solve it. Yeah, because with the stakes of like he's feeling suicidal about it just a few chapters ago just to immediately be like oh you had amnesia yeah dude it's it feels like, like a cop-out it's like you're it's a 14 like year old making yeah. later it's like you're a 14 year old writing like your oh and then he had amnesia storyline for your back for your character yeah you're doing it on wattpad yeah like, it's really bad and it just tells me like i don't think they knew what they wanted to do in this book so they just threw a bunch of plot things that they wanted to accomplish in here that's why it feels like tribulation force to me you know it, what i mean it, it definitely feels like that like we're just we're just cutting for time like a lot of this book doesn't need to be here right right it doesn't and it just feels like they're padding it out for no reason that, that's why they can't let these little storylines breathe it's so frustrating yeah let's stop writing a better book let's just move on so Buck's phone vibrates and then he shuts it off um, because he's kind of done right now. He's had to watch Hattie die. He's very upset. He's left Hyam all on his own. And he goes to watch Carpathia give an address at the tomb. So can you read Carpathia's address there for me, what he says? Yeah. I was never entombed. I lay in state for three days for the world to see. Someone was said to have risen from this spot. But where is he? Did you ever see him? If he was God, uh, why is he not still here? Some would have you believe it was behind the disappearances that so crippled our world. What kind of God would do that? And the same people would have you believe that I am the antithesis of this great one. Yet you saw me resurrect myself. I stand here among you. God on earth, having taken my righteous place, I accept your allegiance. So I wrote here, this is a long time coming. Like he's straight up calling out Jesus and declaring himself Christ and God and all of this. Why is this falling so flat? Yeah. Like it just doesn't work. 
like we've been waiting for this so basically since about book three mm-hmm. when buck was like yep one day he's gonna do that and it's just collapsing under its own weight like it's just so on the nose there's just nothing Right, and I, get, I guess if it would have been written, like, as, uh, from, like, the point of view and cadence of the previous Nikolai, it would have been, like, a lot better. Like, he, yes! Yeah, like, a lot, a little bit more charm to it. Yeah, and, like, with that, with still that seductive, silver-tongued, like, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth kind of thing, which is what Satan, the Prince of Lies, or the Father of Lies would do, but he's not doing that anymore. I don't think these guys know how to write Satan. I don't, yeah, they don't like, and that's really disappointing for a couple of like Christian authors. You guys should at least have a pretty good idea of who your nemesis is, right? Even though the Carmen videos were campy, the Carmen videos had a better like approach to Satan. Than I don't book. disagree. Like, okay, is this just not hitting us because we're not like dyed in the wool Christians? I, I, like, maybe. Would this be hitting harder as just pure blasphemy, maybe? Yeah, if we were, like, committed to the doctrine that this book is espousing, these caricatures would be hitting because that's, like, it's playing at, like, our fears a lot more, maybe? But see, I also think that that is a cop-out on our part because, you know what still kind of hits? What? Narnia still hits. Yeah, Narnia does, yeah. Like, the Christian ideas in Lord of the Rings still hit. Yeah, okay. Like, these Christian authors who are good authors and good storytellers can do this. Lord of the Rings is more thematic and in the background, but, like, Narnia is like, nah, the lion's Jesus, and he's gonna tell you Jesus shit. I'll even pull from another C.S. Lewis book, the screw tape letters directly, like, dealing with demons corresponding to each other. Some of the most charming, like, guys, if you haven't read the screw tape letters, even if you are not a Christian, I'm going to tell you there is an audio drama version of the screw tape letters out there. Do not give focus on the family your money, because they are the ones who produced it pirated but it's starring andy circus oh yeah i've I've listened to that one the guy who played Gollum in lord of the rings you know big mocap actor he's fantastic so good so entertaining so charming it's these two kind of upper crusty british demons arguing with each other through like letter correspondence yeah, about, it's incredible yeah it's all about how like the best way you can like tempt humans and corrupt their souls yeah, and it's, it's really rules. good it's awesome it's it's so entertaining this sucks yeah write better demons they did it way before you I'm so mad at this. Quick, um, like, just a thing about the screw tape letters. If you look into the development history of that, like, C.S. Lewis wrote those demons so good that he, like, kind of had to take a step back after writing that book. He's like, writing these demons made me feel weird, dude. I had to get into a weird headspace. I was to write a little them. too good at it. Yeah. <laughs> You're pulling out his shadow way too he hard. Was meth- he was method acting. Yeah. <laughs> He went out and committed crimes after. So we get a really gross line where Chloe confesses that she's jealous of Hattie. What? That Hattie got to Leroy Jenkins it and like has bit it now. It's, it's because she's in heaven. Mm-hmm. It's not as gross as it sounds, but that is what she says. And she goes, Dad, am I a scoundrel? It's just stupid lines. It sucks. Dad, I want to be in heaven, but instead I'm here on this earth with this baby My that I didn't get to kill. Baby that I didn't get to murder. Because Zion says murdering your baby's wrong, even if the GC is ki- uh, about to kill you. So anyway, God, man, this is a slog, huh? I hope you guys are at least entertained. This is rough. Buck takes a moment to actually head into the garden tomb. Now, I want to note something that the specific garden tomb they're referring to, even on their own website, 
is denoted as a possible location for the burial of Christ. It is not necessarily a holy place. It is a possible, maybe it was, we're not sure, who's to say? (laughs) And so he walks into the tomb and he kind of sits there in like the cool air inside the tomb. And Chaim sort of sheepishly walks up to him and joins them. And they both break down crying again. There's a guard outside the tomb that Buck is just like, hey, can I go in? Doesn't respond. So that's who he had to get past. And while they're in there crying, the guard kind of sticks his head in and says, why do you seek the living among the dead? Which is a line from scripture. Um, The angel of the tomb basically saying he is risen. And guess who it is? That's it's honest. Yep. Annas from book three. So to refresh myself on Honest, just to make sure we know, that was the guy that held a gun to Buck on a boat in book three, right? No. That's a different Different guy. Different guy. That's the guy who was the GC guard who held a gun on Zion on the bus and let him go. Oh, okay. So he's been a low-key GC insider this whole time. I guess he's not going to get his mark and he's probably going to be part of the evacuation because yeah. he's still acting as a guard. I guess he hasn't taken his mark yet. Okay. Um, and then he just kind of goes, okay, bye. <laughs> There's a lot of okay, bye in characters in this. Like Annas says his line, leaves. Carpathia does his big speech. Hops on a helicopter, leaves. Like, there's so much of this. It's like <laughs> Addie gets up, does her Princess Bride thing, leaves. It's like if if they were making movies of this, they get someone to come in, they do their cameo, get their check, leave. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then everybody would look at the camera. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's another weird moment where Hayam kind of like comes back to himself because he goes to a little gift shop, pulls a replica of the Dead Sea Scrolls out, dumps it out, and just uses the container and scrapes up Hattie's ashes into it. And it was like, okay, Cameron, let's go. (laughs) Which, like, it's just so rushed. How can this book be so full of nothing and still these moments feel so rushed? Like, it's loose where it should be tight, and it's tight where it should be loose. Yeah, like, this moment with the ashes, like, that that should have been a sentimental moment. That at least took up maybe, like, a page and a half. But nope, it's just, like, a paragraph. Should have been a conversation, maybe something, but, like... like, Some people praying over it, maybe. I don't don't know. So, we get into chapter five. So, we got three more chapters to go. Oh, thank God. I know. (laughs) So, David is uh, is praying in his open-air office at Petra and reading Zion's next message. Oh, wait. Oh, Linda's back twice. Yet another message from Zion announced a final teaching on the next event, the prophetic calendar, Antichrist, desecration of holy of holies. That's important. Thanks, I Linda. Gu- I guess. Yeah, which is something that I did write down. He's going to desecrate the holy of holies. Now, from my understanding, in King Solomon's temple, which this is a replica of, there is the holy place, which is the outer area where the worship takes place uh, inside the actual temple structure. Then there is the veil, which is the veil that was torn during the crucifixion. And on the other side of that is the Holy of Holies. It's also carried over from the tabernacle that was used as the mobile temple during the 40 years in the desert. That's what I recall, at least from what I've been taught growing up. Yeah. Um, Because when you're a kid in evangelical church, um, I was actually talking to one of our Jewish friends um, who listens to the show, and she said, I'm just going to quote her here real quick. She says, I feel like evangelicals care a little too much about Israel, so it transforms into rabid Old Testament Jew love. That's 100% true. Yeah. (laughs) Like, can confirm that evangelicals want to cosplay Jewish people very bad. Yeah. And so they're real into it. So the Holy of Holies is supposed to be the place where the presence of God would rest. And that's where Nikolai is going to desecrate. 
Now, the Temple Mount's mark site is kind of broken into unrest after Hattie's death. Like, people are not into the, the murdering the woman in the middle of the road thing. Yep. It's another thing that, like, why would you sabotage yourself like this? Walter Moon is kind of losing control of the situation, so there's armed morale monitors trying to keep order, and they just don't have enough people. So between the people who are pushing and shoving trying to get their mark and the people who are like, wait, no, this sucks, this it's kind of a, a bit of a mess there there's news cameras they're trying to interview people it's just the mood is hot at this mark site right there at the temple mount yep and um linda again highlighted the fact that ben judah fears carpathia and his henchmen are devious enough to come up with the idea of doping known believers and forcing the mark on them and that would be a catastrophe right uh because they did it to chang yeah and zion is still unsure if he was right about why chang is okay but we know i mean obviously he is yeah so viv ivans pops up on the broadcast and she's like look 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 look. the potentate is going to bless this temple this temple made by these misguided jews i'm going to lend some credibility to this house of god um such so as real kind of anti-semitic and she's confident that nikolai's displays of divine power will overshadow any opposition from the orthodox because they know that as soon as he desecrates the temple which we know what he's going to do he's going to slaughter a cloven hoofed animal inside of the temple. It is a an absolute middle finger um, to the Orthodox Jews, which is going completely back on his agreement he had with Israel, you know, and this is the main thing Hayam murdered him for. It, it's a big deal. And basically Viv is saying, well, we can always incinerate them. Oof. Oh no. Oh God. That is that's a real bad implication there. I don't like that at all. Remember when you said what could be more offensive? There's something. Yep. That sucks. Oh God, it's gross. And like and I get that they're doing that with the villains. You just don't have to reference that. Maybe let's not. Yeah, like maybe not I as have a much, feeling as know. we get further into the remnant, um, because of the focus on the refu- the Israeli refugees, that's gonna get more out there that's yeah. going to become more center stage oh, i don't like it gab i don't like it don't this like is it this either. is treading in really weird like anti-semitic territory that the books haven't quite touched on yet i do not like it uh, linda just highlights the words for the potentate's blessing of the temple thanks linda thanks linda so here's something a little interesting though okay I'm take a little diversion because it is the holiday season we get pointed out a small gold stage a replica of where both king solomon and antiochus cited here as a forerunner of the Antichrist, would address the Hebrews. So do you know who Antiochus is? You know, I, I, off the top of my head, no. I'm not familiar. Antiochus IV Epiphanes was a Greek Hellenistic king from the Seleucid dynasty. Okay. So the Seleucids, or you might call them the Seleucid Empire, um, prominent during like uh, from about 175 B.C., Ish, BCA. And one of the things that they are most known for is the conquering of Judea. They ran into some opposition when they conquered Judea. Tim is painting Antiochus as a forerunner of the Antichrist because he tried to tramp down on Orthodox Judaism and only give rights to Jews that would worship Zeus and the Greek pantheon. He also considered himself to be a god. He was kind of a he was kind of a crazy guy. I think he got a mad king sort of label about him. Yeah. He was rebelled against by a group you may have heard of called the Maccabees. Yeah, the Maccabees. So what do you know about the Maccabees? Well, um, the most I know about the Maccabees is that they were a group of Jewish warriors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's about the—and I know it's very important in, like, 
you know, Hanukkah um, celebrations, right? Exactly. Okay, yeah, that's about so, what I know. So the Maccabees were an ancient group of Jewish rebel warriors, like you said, yeah. who took control of Judea during the Seleucid Empire, and um, they founded another dynasty once they kicked the Seleucids out, you know, reestablished Judea under Jewish control. The way the Maccabees and Antiochus fit into the story of Hanukkah is that the the whole celebration, the eight nights of Hanukkah, it celebrates the rededication of the second temple in Jerusalem after the revolt against the Seleucid Empire. So Antiochus's regime gets kicked out, and I'm probably butchering this, but in order to rededicate the temple, they needed to light the menorah. There was not enough oil to keep the menorah going for all eight nights. It was only for one, but miraculously, the oil lasted all eight nights. Ah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the story of Hanukkah, and that's how it relates to Antiochus, who Tim is placing here as a precursor to Antichrist. <laughs> so we are recording this on uh, Wednesday, December 1st. So to all of our Jewish listeners out there, happy Hanukkah, everybody. Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> Took a long road to get to happy Hanukkah, but there you go. So back to Hyman Buck. They're on the verge of losing it, watching the crowd celebrating and choosing Satan, which Zion is going to talk about here in a minute. But we get this weird, like, low-key reference to the fact that Hyam's not eating. Did they talk about that in the previous book, that he wasn't going to need to eat or drink? I think they mentioned manna, like, once. Yeah, but they talked about the clothes thing, but I don't think Hyam is eating or drinking because he doesn't need to. Yeah. Which is kind of neat. Um, and they do it subtly. It's a weird moment of subtlety in this book. The image of Carpathia starts to speak again. <laughs> Got the talking statue, trying to play the hits. This assemblage is not unanimous in its devotion to me. Again, we've confirmed Satan can't know that, so it's silly. Buck kind of looks out in the crowd, and there are believers, all of them in fatigues. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> you love to see it, Christians in fatigues. And Hyam is kind of starting to find his voice. He's like, Cameron, you need to take heart. Be not afraid. Buck says he still sounds like a Jewish comedian. <laughs> okay. But he says something good. He's like, look, God is going to make this happen. This exodus of the Jews. Only he can do it. So either you believe it or you don't. And I just wrote, okay, so where's the drama exactly? Like, if we know the conclusion is foregone, and I know I say this all the time, it robs us of tension, and I don't like it. Mm -hmm. Carpathia finally makes his second appearance, uh, surrounded by his military brass. This is a new thing. We haven't had the military brass out. And they're all dressed like Muammar Gaddafi. <laughs> like gold epaulets, like white suits, medals everywhere, those, those dumb little hats, um, you know, with the wide brims, like the Stalin-esque kind of hats. Mm -hmm. All the brass are receiving their marks, and then immediately followed by the cabinet. That's like Viv, you know, Walter, all those guys. And as they go through, they get their marks. They then go and they kiss the feet of the statue. Viv kicks it up a notch. She decides to kiss Nikolai's feet and then anoints the feet with perfume. Not the image's feet, Nikolai's feet. Did that stick out to you at all? Uh, not really, but a lot of this just started blending together. <laughs> now that I think about it, it's kind of like how Jesus' feet was like anointed in oil, right? Yeah, it's, it was perfume. Yeah. Uh, so it was Mary of Bethany. So do you remember Lazarus? Yes. He had two sisters, Mary and Martha. Yeah. Mary, there's a very specific story that's in all four Gospels about how Mary took a very expensive bottle of perfume, poured it over Jesus' feet, and wiped it with her hair. Very ostentatious worshipful gesture and people standing by are like you're wasting that don't do that and jesus is like she's worshiping me back off yeah and it's in all four gospels which is kind of interesting so buck and Hyam decide they're gonna retreat and go back to the hotel and Hyam goes you know what no i'm gonna stay 
God's going to have me stay, you know, until the confrontation. You, you go on back and you find out that Hattie's sacrifice has actually encouraged him. Now, I, I'm not saying that it's okay that she got fridged. Yeah. Like, it shouldn't have happened, but it does serve some narrative purpose. I just don't think it's worth it. Yeah, like, she, like, her her death is like the, oh, we gotta, we gotta really push onward, like, just to make sure her death's not in vain. It is a woman's death encouraging a man to realize his heroic potential. That is the definition of fridging. Oh, my God. Yep, that's it. Yep, it's Green Lantern's girlfriend in a refrigerator, which, if you didn't know, that's, that's what the origin of that term is. Oh, no, okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's a... I'm not going to go on a diatribe about Kyle Rayner or Green Lantern. I'd be, we'd be here all day. Um, and we learned something else about Hyam that I haven't figured out yet. Um, I think they reference it later. Hyam refuses to take the name Moses. He doesn't want to be referred to as Moses. He is taking the name Micah. Okay. Like the prophet Micah. Yeah. And he says something else that reminded me of my early church days. He says, we are aliens in this world, homeless as anyone is. So, you know, the whole we are to be in this world, but not of it. Yeah. There used to be, remember WWJD bracelets? Yeah. What would you do? Yeah. 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 How those were big for a while, like yeah. in the early 2000s. There was another type of bracelet with the verse about in the world, but not of it. And it said, I am an alien. And it would have the little alien, like the Alienware logo. Yeah. You know? That, remember that that symbol was everywhere in, yeah. like, 1999? Well, I don't remember that because I was two, but... Um, I, oh, I, I, God. I... Don't start. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm almost 25. I'm almost old. You're almost old. You're not yeah. quite there yet. I mean, let me know when you start waking up with random pains that you can't explain. All right. <laughs> then you'll know you're old, buddy. All right. So moving on to chapter six. So David starts taking his little slow walks around Petra. Just kind of, you know, just chilling, just vibing. Like he knows that there is going to be bad stuff coming here. Um, but he is getting as much as much of his little sabbatical as he can while he gets his back cave set up. And um, looks like we got a lot of Linda yeah, stuff here. Yeah, Linda is is like <laughs> she really likes page after page. Looks like she highlighted all of Zion's message, which is the next thing that happens. Yeah, it's um, really important to Linda. But before that, we get a little bit about Petra. It used to be in a land called Edom, um, and it was when Moses was leading the Israelites through the desert, they were not allowed to pass by the Edomites. And I think they had to go around um, because Petra is so defensible. Like you can't get in there. But David is just out there alone, sleeping in a cave, doing his thing. <laughs> um, we cut back to Buck, who is in his hotel room at the King David, reading the book of Micah. Mm -hmm. And he can't really put together why Hyam chose that name. Because Hyam's like, oh, you'll get it. Just sit and think about it for a while. Buck still doesn't get it. And frankly, I don't either. I, nothing's jogging my memory. There's like a dire promise of God's judgment, I think is what he says. Um, but like other than that, he can't really make heads or tails of it. So we'll we'll learn later on what the Micah name choice is, I think. Mm -hmm. So time for another Zion message. Thank you, Linda. <laughs> so he's going into a lot from the book of Daniel, specifically that the king of this earth meaning the Antichrist, will take out his wrath on Egypt and a few other kingdoms, but Edom will be spared, the land of the Edomites. That's Petra. So that's where he's taking the prophecy related to Petra from specifically. We also learn that Michael the Archangel is standing watch, according to this book, um, according to Daniel. And we've already seen that. Michael met Zion during his vision. He also appeared to Hattie. Michael's not done. He's going to be hanging around for a while. And do you remember which archangel Michael is? Uh, Michael is the, is, he's the war one, right? Yeah, he's yeah. the war one. Yeah, he's the general of the heavenly host. So 
that's kind of his job. And since Armageddon is on the horizon, the actual Armageddon, not like as a metaphor, like the battle of Armageddon isn't too far off. He's kind of making his presence now. And then we get to the thing that really kind of throws me. And we've talked about it before about the hardening of hearts. Zion says God will send them, meaning those who worship the image of the beast and take his mark, strong delusions so that they believe the lie. Huh. Basically saying if you don't believe in Jesus by now, you're not gonna, and God's gonna make it so you don't. The heck, God? I don't like it either. No, it sucks. <laughs> like, God hardening the heart like he did to Pharaoh in the book of Exodus really just sort of, like, paints your opposition as irredeemable animals yeah it's not good which isn't uh which you know now we have people in military fatigues like bringing a mass amounts of guns that's not exactly what you want to be doing that's a red flag buddy yeah it's a big old red flag (laughs) and i know we've talked about this before that it's not about tim and jerry saying you need to pick up a gun and you need to shoot non-believers it's about them saying stuff that irresponsibly implies that that is a thing that the most devoted followers of God should be doing. Yeah. I don't think Tim and Jerry meant this, but people take it that way. And there are definitely people who take it that way and still do. Like from the Facebook posts and stuff that we see about these books, that's out there. Yeah. Like uh, since the 90s, early 2000s, that's how the discourse has evolved. And this is where it's come from. Yeah. It, It went from slam to left behind to this. Yeah, to this. Exactly. We get a cut back to Ming, and she says that Chang may actually be able to put Zion live on GCNN. Oh. Like, let him live stream on it. Okay. And he's like, yeah, it'll be a tag team wrestling match, you and Hyam. And they they basically want Zion to cut promos for Hyam. I kind of like that idea. Like these these two older Jewish men like cutting wrestling promos for each other. That's pretty good. And then uh, Zion goes, well, I don't really want to live stream because I might give away our location. And Ming goes, well, you already said Petra in your message. So uh, do you mean to do that? And Zion's like, oh, God, no. Oh, no. So he has messed up big time. Is that like. I don't know. I, I guess it's like he just wasn't thinking, but that seems like a weird slip. So they address it in a minute. Um, Very quickly, actually, they address it Um, when he's talking to Zeke, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So the airstrip is starting to kind of like wind up, like Operation Eagle's starting to be a go. We get a neat little moment with Ray. He pops his little pilot hat on like Ash Ketchum, like, all right, it's go time. And back to Buck, he meets Hyam slash Micah back at the temple, and he's just chilling out where the witnesses used to be, so it's kind of appropriate. Micah's ready to flush Carpathia out, like he's going to fully call him out, just like Hattie just did, yeah. which feels weird because a character just did that, and he's about to do it again. The pacing and, like, the plot in this book is so uneven. You know what would have been an interesting moment? Like, because if you wanted to have, like, eat the fridge thing... Where, like, Hattie's death compels Hyam to do the thing. What if, like, as soon as she gets, like, burnt to a crisp, that's when Hyam steps in and does it more like, oh, you, you might be able to hurt her, but you can't hurt me. Right, and we're going to see that in a minute. But, yeah. like, it's so dumb because, like, things are getting set up in one chapter and paid off in the next chapter. There's no time to let them simmer, and it just, it sucks. But goes, uh, what are you going to call it, a ruckus? <laughs> And Micah goes, uh, yeah, look around. There's no cops. <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean? He's like, you call yourself a reporter and you can't put this together? Like, there's no cops. All the cops are scratching their boils. They're gone. I'm going to do it now. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he just opens his mouth and boom, like 
Revelation 16, 1 through 2, which you read earlier, he starts talking about the bowls of wrath. The voice comes out. He's using the voice. And there he is in full Moses mode. And he's like, I demand an audience with the evil one. You know, he's stepping up. He's doing it. Um, he's getting his do over for Hattie. And the GC guards like show up. And they're like, all right, you are clearly unwell, sir. Uh, you are wearing a Jedi robe. Um, please come along. Like, let's get you to the processing center. He refers to Nikolai as Satan incarnate, and the guards don't like that. Nope. <clears throat> and as they're holding up their guns on him, he like force chokes one of them, and the other ones fall down because they can't take the pain of the boils as they start to appear on their body. And as he's force choking one of them, he like grabs her radio and gets on with her superior. And he's like, bring me the Antichrist. <laughs> and the guy's like, who is this? What's your operating number? <laughs> this is actually, this is kind of working. It's all right. It, actually, I agree. It is kind of fine. Like, because I love Hyam. Yeah. Hyam is still one of my favorite characters. He's remaining a favorite character while Nikolai has like dropped on the tier list to like, yeah. like a low C tier. Um, Hyam is still S tier. Heck yeah. And he gets him with the bring him to me now or I am prepared to return to the plagues called down by the two witnesses. And they know that all too well. So like, OK, OK, we'll get him. We'll get him. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to close out with chapter seven. Okay. David wakes R up real quick. We got to give uh, a quick little precious moment that Linda did. Did you sleep? Buck said no, but I rested. How does that work? There's nothing like resting in the Lord. I guess there is nothing like resting in the Lord. Yeah, thanks, uh, Linda. Yeah, I don't know what that means. <laughs> so, beginning of chapter seven, David wakes up and hears tanks. <laughs> because Zion blew their cover. Yeah. So, there's tanks and artillery lining up outside of Petra, and David is there by himself. Oh. And, like, is that poor Zion, man? He's inconsolable. Like, he's praying. He's, like, begging God, like, why did I do that? I'm so sorry. And then Zeke, what a good guy. He's just like, hey, man, you know, it's like a God thing. You know, he, he wouldn't just let you do that and just mess up. He's probably got a plan for it. Yeah, and even Linda agrees. Agre Linda agrees. She highlighted that exact <laughs> passage, which is true in the Christian worldview of this. But again, it robs us of tension. Yeah. Okay, if God planned it, then, like, there's nothing that can truly go wrong. If it even goes the worst it can possibly be, if a character we like dies, they still go to heaven. The stakes at this point in the story are null because the stakes up until this point were let's save as many people as we can and let's stay alive to save them. Zion's message just said, nah, it doesn't matter because if they haven't accepted God by now, God's going to make it so they can't accept him. So I don't care anymore. Yep. These stakes, this book is ruining my ability to care in this plot, and I hope it gets better. I hope it does, too. So Ray kind of sees Albie and George unpacking weapons. They're prepping for this attack on Petra because it's only 50 miles away. Like, it's not that far. And Buck and Micah make it to the Temple Mount finally, and they are confronted by the new character, Lauren Hutt. And Hutt has Carpathia on the phone, and Micah's like, yeah, I'm not talking to him on the phone. And Hutt's like, yeah, but ugh, crap. And he gets on the phone, and he's like, uh-huh. Yep. Nine in the clip. Yes, sir. And Hutt is ordered to shoot Micah in the same manner that Carpathia described. And mm -hmm. he tries. He, he gives it the old college try. And as he's doing it, the sores are forming on him and they're trying to live stream the execution. Everybody's watching on live TV and Hutt is firing every single round, like point blank into his hands, into his temple, into his knees. Nothing. The, the bullets just don't do anything. And things kind of go into chaos. A guy, like, calls out, like, laughing at Hutt, and Hutt turns around and shoots him, and the guy dies. <laughs> oh. 
He's like, yeah, you're gonna laugh at me, bam. And then ultimately like he's so freaked out that Hut grabs someone else's gun and tries to shoot himself. And Hyam's like, look, Calm down <laughs> and like gently moves the gun away from him. He's like, hey, you're already screwed, but like, let's not do that. Okay. <laughs> so Carpathia, after being baited out, finally shows up. And of course he's mugging to the camera like, ah, everybody's so glad to see me here. And he gets one of the, the camera operators and like, like, come here, come here. He has a stare down with Hyam and Buck. These two men that he knows very well does not recognize them. The book says that it's because they look different, but I think it's also because, like, Satan doesn't really know these guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, they've never been introduced. And he demands that a guard take Buck away. And as soon as he does that, that guard drops down covered in boils. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. People are dropping, like, flies with the boil thing now. Nikolai kind of has a conversation with them like he once did with the witnesses. He's like, look. Get a little taste of the old negotiator, Nikolai. A little bit, but it still is bad. Like, it's like a bad version of it. And he's like, okay, you're here on behalf of the almighty God. Well, what does he want? As this is happening, like, loyalists with the mark all over the place are falling down, just itching themselves and writhing in pain. Okay, wait, hold on. Well, I, I just remembered this. Where did all the pain demons go? Like, where'd they go? Oh, no, I don't know. I think they just, like... They just left. Like, where'd they come from? Okay. I guess they went back to wherever they came from. They just went back to hell? Because once they got everybody, yeah, I think that the whole point was that they stayed around for five months, and they had to get everybody, and then once they had, they, I guess, went back to hell. Wouldn't those be, like, of, I don't know. You don't want to double dip. Yeah. You don't want to bring them back, you know? I guess. So it's just, it's just, we're just full on exodus now, the plague of boils. So okay. I think that's what it's for. They just start spontaneously appearing, and it's gross. Yeah. And so and it's so painful and so irritating that these guys are just dropping to the ground. He's like, look, you need to let all of the Jewish believers and the Orthodox leave. And if you don't, I got more plagues where that came from. So what do you think, big guy? Gives him a real let my people go. He doesn't say those exact words. You know, it's it's kind of like the the other Spider-Man movies that don't say with great power comes great responsibility, but they basically say it. Yeah, it's the same thing. He doesn't say let my people go, but he basically says it. And Nikolai's like, uh, yeah, nah. And so Micah goes, you know, make me do this. Gets him a bottle of water, turns it to blood. And Nikolai's like, come on, man. You're going to do that one this again? again? Yeah. <laughs> Really like you funny. said, don't double do. It's pretty funny. <laughs> um, and, I, like I know it's not supposed to be funny, but it's funny. And he does say something interesting that's again undercutting tension, but per their belief system, it's true. He goes, "Hey, any advantages that you've got, Nikolai, were from God, and they're temporary. Yeah, you were basically allowed to have enough rope to hang yourself. I am speaking for the Almighty God. You've already lost, so you might as well just give me what I want. Like I'm just running out the clock here." One of the most important things to take here is that the Orthodox Jews are going to go somewhere different than Petra. They're going to go to Masada. Um, so we're going to be in two separate places. Yeah. There's a lot of history. Where's Masada again? I don't know the exact geographical location. I'll have to look that one up. But okay. there is some historical significance to Masada. I don't have time to go into it right now. I okay. definitely want to talk about that maybe next time or as right. we get into the next book. Works, works for me. Cutting back to David as all this is going on, he's watching in kind of glee, but not really. I think David's kind of in a haze at this point because like he's lost his fiance and he's not doing well. The GC military are like falling over out of their trucks as they're covered in boils. <laughs> oh. 
and like they're crawling away from the trucks like these guys are miserable and then we end the chapter on ray albie george abdullah and mac all getting a battle plan together to push back the incursion on petra they're going to use the 50 cals to destroy the unmanned vehicles, and then they're going to use the DEWs on the boil-stricken GC military because it's non-lethal. Oh. It's like Batman breaking every bone in someone's body and leaving them, like, permanently at, maimed. At least I didn't kill them. Exactly. At least I didn't kill them. Like, I'm going to put them through horrific pain worse than my god is already doing, but at least I didn't kill them. <laughs> Oh and god. Then they're just going to go to hell when they actually right. do that. Exactly. It's it's so bad. Oh. So on that very grim note, we're going to go ahead and leave this episode. We did it. We did it. Well, well I we're only one third of the way through this book. My god. Okay. Don't worry. It'll just be me, you and Linda through the rest of this journey. I don't think we can do it without Linda. Linda's <laughs> Linda's our golem. She's going to get us to Mount Doom. <laughs> well, thank you guys for joining us and Linda. On this episode of I Survive the Rapture, I'm Shane Bazell. And I'm Gavin Russell. And until next time, don't point a radiation gun at people already in pain. Bye. Bye. Okay, that's our show. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Rapture Podcast. I Survive the Rapture is part of the IndieSource Podcast Network. For more great shows and to join the conversation, please visit IndieSource.com and check out the IndieSource Discord. We'll see you there, and thanks for listening. He can tempt you and lead you astray.